Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very excited to have with me Dr. John Miller today to tell us all his uh, all about his book titled The Philosophy of Tattoos, published by the British Library in 2021. This is a very cool book. This goes all over time and space and looks sort of practically at what tattooing is today? What does it mean culturally? What does it mean economically? Um, And helps us connect that with the historical cultures, plural, of tattoos, um, and questions about what tattoos mean, and why do we kind of keep coming back to them in so many times and places. So, John, I'm so pleased to welcome you to the podcast to tell us all about your book. Well, thanks very much for having me. Before we dive into all things tattoo, though, could you maybe introduce yourself a bit and explain why you decided to write this book? Sure. So I am a senior lecturer in 19th century literature at the University of Sheffield. And I don't normally write or think about tattoos. So I've come to think of tattooing as like my academic side hustle. So I've been interested in tattoos since I was a kid. I, I don't remember a time when I wasn't interested in, in tattoos. There's no real reason for me to be interested in tattoos. Like like growing up, I didn't know any tattooed people. And back then, you didn't see tattooed people in the media. If you walked down the street, you wouldn't see tattooed people in the way that you do today. So I don't really know why I've been fascinated by tattooing my whole life. But I have been. And so I came to write this book... Um, Sort of by accident, really, I, I think. So when I was doing my, my PhD research, which was on exotic animals in Victorian adventure fiction, I was reading a, a bunch of travel literature and literature about empire um, from the late 19th, early 20th century. And I'd occasionally find references to tattoos or sometimes some short stories about tattoos. And that led me to start collecting tattoo stories at the same time as I was collecting tattoos myself and I did a book for British Library Publishing as part of their Tales of the Weird series called Tales of the Tattooed which I was that was my kind of first real foray into tattoo academia and then on the back of that they invited me to write a short book about the philosophy of tattoos which I said yes to mainly out of self-indulgence really because part of the the book is sort of my, my tattoo autobiography, which I can't imagine anybody else would publish if I didn't kind of crowbar it in to a book about the philosophy of tattoos or some other tattoo um, academic subject. So that that's kind of how I got into it, really. That's quite an interesting story. And I think perhaps 
not as self-indulgent as you make it out to be. Um, oh, it really lots is. Of... I think it is. It feels <laughs> self-indulgent. Well, it doesn't read purely as self-indulgent. So there is that. Um, partially, I think, because you've structured the book uh, very thematically, which I found really interesting. Uh, because, of course, choosing themes is always really hard. So can you tell us what are the themes you chose and how did you end up with these ones? Well, some of them, I think, are kind of inevitable or or necessary rather than inevitable. And certainly they were part of the remit that was given to me because this book is part of a series, the philosophy series with um, British Library Publishing. Most of the other ones are about drinks. There's a philosophy of gin, philosophy of wine, some other foodstuff, philosophy of of curry. So it's it's kind of a weird weird, um, fit with the the series. But because the, the series requires a broad sweep around the the topic so the first chapters origins and histories seem to be really necessary for the book to be something that you could call the philosophy of tattoos so thinking about anthropology of of tattooing some elements of archaeology of tattooing and then the most ridiculously generalized sweep about tattoo cultures particularly in relation to colonialism, because that's a lot of what I'm, I'm interested about, and decolonization. So that's the kind of first two origins and histories, the first two um, chapters. The third chapter, which is revivals, follows on from the, that historical focus. So when a lot of tattoo traditions in various parts of the world are repressed through colonization in the 18th and 19th centuries, 20th and 21st century see a lot of these tattoo traditions mainly indigenous tattoo traditions are really having a a renaissance Um, and that is often something that's associated with tattooing culture in general in the 21st century as this flowering or renaissance of, of something that had kind of didn't appear to be so much in the foreground in the 19th and 20th centuries that how true that is is open to debate so that's the three chapters. The fourth, the fourth and fifth chapters, I think, are more controversial, um, or, or, or maybe a little bit less um, central to, to to the history of tattooing. So, so the fourth chapter is on deviance, and and there is clearly an association of, of tattooing with, with deviance, but it's quite historically recent and geographically specific. So the idea that tattooing is a deviant practice is an entirely weird thing to say about something that's happened more or less everywhere, more or less forever. So, I mean, archaeology tells us that, that, you know, tattooing goes back thousands and thousands of years. There's evidence of tattooing really in in all cultures in in the, the world. So if you get this idea that tattooing is the mark of outlaws or rebels or weirdos or perverts, all of this stuff you get in the late 20th century, it's kind of a bizarre thing to think about. Um, so part of that chapter is to, to think about that that idea. And I, I feel kind of ambivalent about it but by, myself because on the one hand, it's not historically accurate or ethically helpful to think of tattooing as deviant. But when I was first getting into tattoos, like a long time ago, even before I was tattooed myself, I was really drawn to that kind of secrecy and edginess of, of, of tattooing. So I've got like a, a kind of contradictory relationship to deviance. I think historically it's compromised as a lens on tattooing, but also I'm kind of really drawn to it um, in kind of 21st century Europe. And the last chapter is on, on magic. Um, 
which is something I wanted to explore because it's central to the history and anthropology of tattooing. But in 21st century Britain, it seems um, something that you wouldn't associate with tattooing anymore. So it's a part of tattooing that's fallen away from the kind of consumerist, materialist world that we live in today. And I'm drawn to those older histories and interested in holding on to ideas that might seem to fit at best awkwardly with the dominant worldviews of kind of 21st century um, Britain and Europe uh, and America. And so all through through that, there were various moments when I, when I do bits of my, my tattoo autobiography as well, which is something that the, that the form demands. So in books about tattoos, you get what I call the tattoo confession. Um, so some people, because there's more and more academic books about tattoos now, so you get like often in a preface, um, somebody say, well, I haven't got any tattoos, but, you know, I once thought about it or somebody I've got one small, small tattoo. Um, but there, there's a kind of, um, in the tattoo world, there's a kind of scorn towards people who engage with the topic without ha- having any tattoos. There are a number of tattoo artists, not many of them, who are tattoo artists but haven't got any tattoos. And in the kind of online world of tattoo culture, that's kind of like a weird thing to do. Uh, why would you be a tattoo artist if you haven't got any tattoos? Or why would you not get tattoos if you are interested enough in tattoos to become a tattoo artist? Um, and in books about tattoos, there's this thing about, you know, you need to dip your toe in the water rather than just observing it um, from the beach. And that's a paraphrase or quotation by Samuel Stewart, who wrote this amazing book about tattoos from, from the late 20th century. Um, so that's part of it as well, the story of, of me getting a a tattoo bodysuit over the last um, 23 years. That is quite a story and quite a summary of the many topics of the book, uh, which I think listeners will understand kind of why there's so much to get into just from that um, exploration of the themes. And many of the points you've raised, I'm probably going to ask you about in a bit more detail as we go through, um, now that we have a bit of a foundation of kind of what the scope of the book covers. Um, And the first thing I want to ask about is this really interesting quote um, earlier on in the book, which is, uh, you say that, quote, a tattoo might mean nothing, but getting and being tattooed means something. And that, in some senses, seems to follow on from that discussion of um, having a tattoo and writing about it, or being a tattoo artist and not having tattoos. So can you tell us a bit about kind of what you mean with this argument? Yeah, well, some tattoos mean something. Um, a lot of tattoos mean a lot to a lot of people, and there are some particular traditions of tattooing that have a really strong sense of significance. So a tattoo, particular tattoo, might record a genealogy or um, convey some particular message about the, the wearer and their allegiances within a particular culture. What I meant by this quotation, I was referring particularly to how tattooing has emerged into prominence in the kind of consumerist metropolitan world of late capital. Let's call it that for the sake of, of argument. So there's a an argument in, in pre-existing tattoo literature that tattoos have become undercoded. Um, so rather than being intensely meaningful as they might be in some cultures or very specifically meaningful, it kind of mean nothing at all. So people often ask, 
people, you know, what does your tattoo mean? And I mean, if you read a lot of interviews with the heavily tattooed people, you often get the answer, doesn't mean anything. Um, so it's just a picture on my skin that needn't have any direct symbolic significance. So often when that question's asked, what does your tattoo mean? It's an invitation to think allegorically about tattoos. So this tattoo um, might be about, you know, a friend who died or a, a lover or, or, or whatever. So there's some explicit reference from the tattoo to some other um, thing in the world. Now, I've had people say say that about my, my tattoos. So my, my back piece, the tattoo on my back is of two deer, and when I was um, in the tattoo studio getting that planned out, the guy who, who ran the tattoo studio, um, Lal Hardy, very famous tattooist and commentator on tattooing, said, I bet that's your wife and your child, um, which I hadn't thought of before. You know, it was nothing to do with that. But there's the, a sense that, that tattoos invite an act of interpretation, that it must refer to something else. Um, but that's become increasingly unstable and and this is part of the way in which different tattoo cultures have circulated around the world and connected to you know quite controversial topic of cultural appropriation so you see somebody um you know in sheffield where i am today you know walking down the street with kind of pacific tattooing um you know what what does that mean to them well it doesn't mean what it would mean to somebody in the pacific context so that that is kind of what we mean by tattoos being undercoded they don't mean as much as people might expect them to mean or what they might mean actually in other cultures and certainly the more I got tattooed the the less the individual tattoos meant anything particular to me it was much simpler in that I just like getting tattooed I went to London to get tattooed so it's it's a day out Um, and you know I enjoyed the the growing flow of the patterns on my, my skin so it was more about pleasure than it was about any significant part of my life so it didn't really communicate anything beyond my skin so that that's what I mean by it kind of might mean nothing but when you're in there and there's a needle buzzing in and out for your skin like a thousand times a second or whatever it is you know it does feel like a meaningful experience it feels ritualistic and when you go and lie down on the couch, you know, the, the hair on your skin is shaved so the tattoo can be applied. Um, so, so there is a kind of ritualistic element to it. Of course, it's really painful depending on which bit of your, your body you get tattooed, more or less painful. So, so it feels like, you know, it, but the experience means something even if the art doesn't. It feels, I don't know, what does it feel like? Kind of therapeutic for, for me I've, I've always conceived of it in in that way and there's a kind of physiological explanation for for that when you're you're in pain your body releases endorphins which kind of makes you feel good it releases uh, adrenaline um uh, as well so I always found that getting tattooed has been a, a positive thing for my mental health as much as i do it just because i like it so that is also part of that kind of meaningfulness of it, even that if the tattoo itself doesn't communicate any great significant meaning, um, people often talk about a tattoo being an investment in themselves somehow. It's something you do for yourself. It's something I, I feel has a connection to to, to well-being and, and fulfilment in some deep and strange way.
Mm. A lot of the things um, in that answer kind of, as you said, sort of point to the well-being, point to the, the self and the individualness of it. But also there are some kind of clear implications around connections with other people, that other people might, for example, read meaning into it um, or that we have it means different things in different cultures which of course culture only means something if you can talk about it with someone else or communicate it with it about someone else Um, it doesn't exist in isolation and this is something that I really appreciated you sort of picked up on the book it wasn't just thinking about what does this mean to an individual but also what does this mean in a group in a society in a culture Um, and of course the interplay between those two it's certainly not um, a binary and I really was fascinated by the idea of what we can open up, what thinking, what philosophical ideas or ways forward. Um, Can we open up when we actually do this explicitly, when we think about tattoos in terms of social experiences, in terms of even in the book you talk about ecological experiences? Um, Can you tell us about this? I could try. So there's a lot in that, that question. So firstly... We might think of tattoos as a way to express or to create your own unique sense of being. That's certainly part of the myth of tattooing. I'm not saying it's it's not not true, but that's certainly part of what it says on the tin. You know, this is part of, of the reason people get tattooing, just so we can be our own unique individuals. Nobody's got the same tattoos um, that I've got. Um so that is, is a powerful way in which you control your body image, how your body exists in the world. But as you say, you can't control how other people read the text that you create on your body. So one example about this that was prevalent in the 1990s, I think it's faded away a bit now, there was this trend of people getting swastika tattoos as a reclamation of an ancient Hindu symbol that had nothing to do with the Nazis so that was and so you'd you'd see you know people with extensive tattooing that would contain swastikas and and they would say you know I'm not a Nazi this tattoo is about this this you know longer historical meaning of it but that of course is a really problematic thing to do because even if that's what's in this person's head when they got this tattoo this is a kind of celebration or reclamation of a kind of pre-Nazi image of it it's not what people see um so that is a, a way in which you can understand that tension between the that that tension between the intentionality behind the tattoo and the way that it's read or conceived in the social world. So people will have preconceptions about tattooing in general that any t- tattoo might say something about somebody and there's a really conservative resistance to tattoos that's still in the British media today. Melanie Phillips, if you're listening, of course you will be. We'll have thoughts about this. You know, Melanie Phillips, the Daily Mail writer, <laughs> who always, you know, said recently that tattoos made her feel sick, um, physically sick. It's kind of very interesting. Uh, Theodore Dalrymple, who wrote a review of my book, was really opposed to the idea of tattooing, that it infringes some kind of integrity of the human that maybe that has theological implications somewhere down the line. I don't know. So those are all like really complicated issues about it. Of course, in some cultures, it's a very particular way of identifying with others. Think about subcultures, um, for example, about gang cultures, like particular tattoos are ways in which you express these forms of community or forms of uh, uh, allegiance. 
think about punks or something as well, how it marks off particular um, uh, subcultures. You know, biker culture as well is another that gets um, a, men- a mention. But of course, all kinds of people with no relationship to any kind of gang or affiliation have always got tattooed. I mean, that this whole idea that it, it is confined to particular social groups has never been true, even though it's never been more untrue than now, if I've got this sentence right. I mean, even kind of in 1950, not recognised as a high point in Western tattoo culture, all kinds of people were still getting tattooed. It wasn't just the kind of thing that was widely recognised in the media. That You do get throughout um, history various stories about how tattooing comes to prominence. And Matt Lodder, the, the tattoo art historian, is the, the person to look into if you want to hear more about that. So that's kind of social elements of it. Um, the ecological angle about it is, is something that, that really it intrigues me. And this is something that I, I don't see much literature in tattooing um, theory and, and scholarship. And maybe there's reasons for, for that. Some of the subcultures uh, I've just mentioned w- would appear to be like antithetical to the idea of ecological thinking. I mean, um uh, one of the guys who, who, who tattooed me when I, my first tattoos was a, was a real kind of uh, petrol head, a real biker guy. And, you know, when it, when he found out I'm a bit of a, an eco-warrior, which I am, he was like, you know, relentlessly taking the piss out of me for it. And he said, he, you know, we'd love to eat the last tiger that, that was alive. So, so there is that, you know, there is, there is that. But at the same time, various tattoo cultures have really close relationships with ecological ideas. And I got into this partly through the work of Lars Krutak, who's an anthropologist, works particularly on tattooing. His work on, on tattooing in Borneo, for example, looks at ways in which um, indigenous cosmologies um, create intersections between tattooing and the natural world, particular animals, for example. And if you go into any um, old school tattoo studio, you get all around the world, you get what's called, all around the, the walls, you get what's called flash. So. Um, I mean, a lot of tattoo studios now are custom tattoos, so you don't see that um, on the walls. And I guess um, the internet and social media has meant that that you don't need to see the images that the tattoos can do actually in the shop. But you can still see this in some places, all of these pictures around the walls. You know, back in the the old days, you go in, you pick out a picture, you get a stencil, and, and that's like your kind of menu to choose from. But if you look at that, it's very biodiverse. There's always flowers and animals. Um, so that there's definitely always some representational connection between the human body and the natural world that happens through tattooing. And often it doesn't appear to be meaningful. So like a swallow, that's like an old traditional jail tattoo. Um, I, I, I think about the idea of kind of freedom when you're incarcerated. Um, but nonetheless you're putting an image of another creature on your, your body. So I'm really interested in this idea that in my tattoo adventure over the last nearly quarter of a century, I've kind of redefined my humanity, have I? I don't know, because most of my tattoos are of creatures or of, of kind of foliage and trees and, and, and stuff like that. So, so, so my own process in getting tattooed has been to make my human form less human or at least to acknowledge in my epidermis, all kinds of relationships um, for the the world beyond the human or that's in dialogue with the, the human. And actually, I got into this, well, my, my first thoughts about this were from uh, an academic called Betty Marenko, um, who did um, a really interesting piece in a tattoo magazine 
based on an exhibition, and this must be going back to the 1990s. Um, and she's got zebra stripes tattooed on her back, and it was an exhibition uh, with, with accompanying text that explored, I guess, the idea of wildness uh, and, and tattooing. Um, so, so that was what an early influence on me, beginning to think about um, tattooing signifying relationships beyond the human. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hmm. Thank you for taking us through sort of that thinking and again, how it integrates the kind of ideas and practicalities um, of all of this, which is one of the fascinating parts about tattoos, that the physicality and the practicality cannot be divorced from kind of thinking about it, or at least I don't think it can. And your book certainly entwines them pretty strongly. Um, So I'd like to ask about another aspect of the book that you briefly mentioned when talking about the themes, of course, is the idea of tattoo renaissances. And I really loved that you don't just say tattoo renaissance, singular, that there are multiple, um, and multiple different kinds as well. So I was wondering if you could maybe help us understand the different kinds and introduce us to one or two. Yeah, so the term tattoo renaissance has done the rounds quite a lot as tattoo literature has has grown, both in terms of formal academic scholarship and in media pieces, of which, you know, there's millions and millions of these now. So it's a term, I think, I might be wrong, that dates from 1980 or 1981, and it's attributed to um, Arnold Rubin. And it refers specifically to an American context, I believe. So this is in the wake of kind of 1960s counterculture. You begin in the 70s and into the 80s to see more and more tattoo shops in metropolitan centres in the the States, which encouraged him to think of the idea that, you know, from that point onwards, tattooing was being reborn after having gone into hibernation through the the twentieth century, so I mean I think this probably isn't really true. I mean, so, and again, I, I would acknowledge the work of Matt Lauder. I think it's done more work that, than anyone to to kind of critique the, the, these ideas. I mean, there was an earlier tattoo renaissance. I think in the kind of eighteen nineties through to about nineteen twenty. At least there are various newspaper reports you can see, um, like from like 1895 or something. Like, look at all these people getting tattooed. Isn't this like weird and bizarre? Tattooing is having a renaissance. So the kind of that kind of Western tattoo renaissance of the 1980s had kind of already happened nearly 100 years ago. And the idea that it's suddenly emerging, having not been around, of course, is, is not true either. I mean, so there were certainly people getting tattooed even when it wasn't particularly visible in, in popular media though of course we can say now um you know just let's stick to the uk to make things simpler there are so many tattoo shops and there's so much online content about tattooing when i was first trying to get tattooed in in 2001 um you know by which point so-called tattoo renaissance had already um taken hold in, in many places i was living in rural cornwall at the time and i was looking through the yellow pages for tattoo shops and there was hardly any um 
at all and, and the ones that there were you know weren't very good but now there is so much work that's just so amazing so artistically accomplished so so distinctive that draws on existing traditions but redefines them in incredible ways so much amazing large-scale work that you didn't see before so certainly you know tattooing is having a heyday at the moment so that's your kind of Euro-American tradition of, of the tattoo renaissance. One of the things that, that's really interesting, which I, I, I researched a, a bit in the, in for the book, is about indigenous cultures and tattoo renaissances uh, or t- tattoo revitalization. So that the, the story here, and again, this is a ridiculous generalization, um, but you get European empires. Um, through their, their empires in the kind of 18th and 19th century, through the Christianization um, of, of cultures, um, attack um, tattooing as a sign of savagery. So all the, the tropes of colonial racism were involved in this um, as well. So in some places, tattooing is really pushed to the margins to the extent that you hardly see it at all. In others, it's a, it's a different case altogether but through decolonization um in various places then you get the rediscovery or not necessarily the rediscovery but a revitalization or greater prominence or greater visibility of um tattoo traditions that hadn't been seen um so much during the periods of, of colonization due to repression, marginalization, etc. So the two I, I looked at for the book, one is um, from the Arctic and Subarctic, um, which is the Inuit Tattoo Revitalization Project. So, um, you know, really fascinating story there. So all, all, all the tattooists in that culture were, were women and I think by the time that the project began, there were there were very few examples of that style of indigenous tattoo, tattooing about, and, and there was just a, a few elders and some documentary evidence um, that, that that was still left. So the people working on that project were were trying to piece together a, a tradition from from not particularly adequate. Evidence. So it's a really interesting case study of, of how now people are rediscovering um, the, those traditions, that part of their kind of history, uh, and, and, and revitalizing Inuit um, tattooing. The other one I look, looked into, and there were more elsewhere as well, was the Mark of the Four Waves uh, movement in, in the Philippines, which is a kind of diaspora movement. I think that was founded in, in um, Los Angeles, where there's a big um, uh, diaspora people from the Philippines and that that again is about recovering um, a tradition that had um, faded into the background so Mark of the Four Waves refers to the four waves of of um, kind of immigration into the Philippines I believe I'm not an expert on this at all so go go to the source and read uh, a lot of the really interesting work about Philip, Filipino tattooing um, so th- those are two examples of, of indigenous forms of tattooing that are really um, flourished o- over the last 15 or 20 years ago, um, drawing on historical records, bringing people together, forging a kind of revitalized sense of community and identity through through traditions of tattooing that hadn't been so visible um, in the decades up to that. So 
those two examples in particular give some very clear sort of positives of tattoos becoming more mainstream. Um, and even the example before that of you being able to find a tattoo shop in rural Cornwall today versus um, 20 years ago suggests another. Um, but in the book, you also talk about this mainstreamness of tattoos being a double-edged sword. So what's the other side of the sword? Well, there's a, there's a really beautiful article from an anonymous tattoo artist in The Guardian a few years ago. I can't, I'm going to not get this quotation quite right, but the, the analogy was that tattooing is like some mysterious creature from the bottom of the sea, and as soon as you dredge it up, it dies. So, so that sense that what was alluring about tattooing, and again, this would be in a Euro-American uh, context, it is destroyed by um, the relentless visibility of it. You know, you turn on your TV, it's full of tattooed people. We work down the street, it's full of tattooed people. The tattooed people are everywhere. Um, and all of these tattoo TV shows like Miami Inc. and Tattoo Fixers, Just Tattoo of Us, all of these that are, you know, not particularly serious engagements with the, the history um, and experience of getting tattooed just make it seem kind of superficial, I suppose. Um, so it's part of the consumerist ethos of neoliberal culture. And you can definitely trace connections between that Western tattoo renaissance and the birth of neoliberalism. They kind of coincide historically. If we think about Rubin coining the term in 1980, which you know is when we've got Thatcher and Reagan and often thought of as the time when neoliberalism takes hold. So all of this deprives tattooing of what, for me, when I was first interested in it, was this kind of spellbinding mystique. And I remember like growing up in um, Deal in Kent, there was one tattoo studio there and it was run by a man called Painless Jeff. I don't suppose that was his given name. Uh, and it was in a basement underneath a shop where you could buy trophies. Like if your team won the cup or whatever, you get the cup engraved there. But if you went to the basement, you'd meet Painless Jeff. Um, and I never went there. I was only a kid, but I remember like walking past there. I always wanted to peek down the stairs. And I was really drawn to that sense of the tattoo studio as a heterotopia, um, in Foucault's term, like an other place, a place that's kind of removed from the mainstream world, a place where you really had to, I don't know, go through some portal into another world. I mean, none of this is particularly true anymore. I mean, maybe it was never true anyway, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to the allure of the the subcultural, the bohemian, the other world of, of tattooing. I definitely think that it's, it's not just me, that there's, there's an attachment to those ideas that still lingers in tattoo culture. Even when, you know, tattooists, you know, you can make a lot of money, um, doing it, you can be a celebrity doing it. You know that makes the industry good to go into. But I, th I still think there is somehow a, a sense of of loss um, in that way in which that the rarity factor has gone. So you know when I was first interested in tattooing in the nineteen eighties, if you saw somebody you know walking down the street with with, with extensive tattooing it was like wow this is amazing oh my god you know what kind of like 
courage you'd have to do that who would even do that I mean what kind of amazing odd weird person would you have to be to do that and that was like really gendered I think as well so if if you saw like a heavily tattooed woman in the 1980s I mean that would be an extraordinary thing and one of the things about the tattoo renaissance so-called is that the percentage of men versus women getting tattooed has apparently shifted so it's much more equal um, than it was so that that sense of the allure of, of of difference is why I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think there's still that sense uh, of a lot of people are drawn to the possibility of, of difference in a world in, of homogeneity, of kind of globalization, of kind of ontological flatness where everything is the same everywhere you go. You you know, you walk down a high street anywhere, it's equally grim and as abandoned as the next high street you, you go down, that, that tattooing might be some underground world where you can escape the dreary blandness of consumer culture. You know, I want that back, but I can't have it back uh, because, like, tattooing is so thoroughly um, commodified. I blame David Beckham, by the way. I'm, I'm sure he'll be very, um, want to know exactly what you blame him for and be very eager to respond to any letters you may write him. Well, I think Melanie Phillips blamed David Beckham. I don't blame him at all. I think, you know, he, he, he was coming quite late to it already at that point. Yeah. Well, this idea of the mainstream, the subculture, the allure of difference um, does come up in the chapter about deviance that you've um, sort of explained to us already, some of your kind of ambivalence about it. And I thought in particular that the part of that chapter that really grabbed me was the sort of philosophical questions, I suppose, that arose when you started thinking about face tattoos and especially people's reactions to face tattoos. Um, so I'm wondering if we can maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I've not got any face tattoos and I'm not going to get any because I've not got the the personality for it, I don't think. It's, it, even today, I think it's quite confrontational or it can be, or at least you, it, it it would get more remarks because it's difficult to, to conceal. So most of the time, all my tattoos are covered up. Of course, you could cover up a face tattoo with um, some artfully positioned hair. So I'm I'm not at stage. I've not got any hair left to artfully position anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> so that, there's that, that sense about it being uncoverable if that's a word is part of that so it's there for everyone to see all the time you know unless you wear a balaclava which itself would be a kind of outrageous gesture in kind of mainstream life of course this is culturally specific again like in new zealand there's a different whole different range of significances around face tattooing but you know in the uk i think it definitely takes a certain force of character to to do that in the literature around it, there's a particular association between trauma and 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 face tattooing. Um, some psychoanalytic studies or psychological studies uh, about that, I think, are, are quite interesting. Though I think there's a tendency, or, or the temptation, to overly generalise about that to kind of pathologise face tattooing. That if you've got a face tattooing, you must be some kind of um, you must have experienced some kind of trauma, which may or may not be be true. I mean, I don't really don't want to pronounce uh, about anybody's history based on that, but certainly that is part of the force of the face tattoo as well. That kind of assumption that it's such an outrageous gesture that there must be some radical antipathy to society that's behind it. 
And the reason for that is because when you get a face tattooed, that seems to override the fundamental nature of human being because the, the face is how we um, conceive of our relationship with the divine. If we do that um, at all, and certainly reading back in the history of commentary about tattooing, particularly the, the history of anti-tattoo sentiment, there's that sense that the integrity of the body is to do with you know how God made us, and if we uh, violate that, then that is um, you know, even a satanic gesture. And if you do that to your face, or uh, you know even people get their eyeballs tattooed now. Eyes the window windows to the soul, as John Donne and Abba um, both remarked. So that sense that it offends. Um, like a philosophically deeply entrenched conceptions of the human place in the universe. I think that's all in there um, somehow. And also, I mean, there's a lot of people who haven't got tattoos who just think it's their business to moan about people who have got tattoos. I and mean, that's a kind of an old um, tourism in the tattoo world. And that is particularly focused a lot on, on face tattoos as well. And all these like old school assumptions about associations between you know, tattooing and criminality gather particularly for, for particular force around the topic of face tattooing. So I think if anybody, you know, when you get a face tattoo, I mean, you, you take all of that on, I think. I mean, that, that's all all part of it, because even if that's nothing to do with, with you know, how, how you want to express yourself, your motivations for getting a face tattoo, you can't stop everybody else from thinking that. Um, so, I, I mean, I definitely think that that still retains... The, the, the force that any kind of heavy tattooing would have had 20, 25 years ago, I think um, that still holds to the face tattoo, um, certainly in the UK today. And, and that fits, you know, economically, the idea of the job stopper, that tattooing stops you getting certain kind of jobs. Well, I don't think it do, does anymore, but I think a face tattoo might. Is it possible to imagine a prime minister with with a face tattoo in the UK? Interesting question. I don't know. Probably not, I would say, at the moment, because I think that, I mean, the prejudice and the opposition to that would be so entrenched um, that, that 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 wouldn't happen. Now, I think there was a, a presidential candidate in the Czech Republic a few years ago who, who had a tattooed face. Um, but I, I don't know any other examples of that, certainly in Europe anyway. I'm trying to imagine now Boris Johnson with a face tattoo. Yeah, well, let's let's imagine that. So, what what would we choose for him? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it will happen. Have strange things happen? Possibly not. Well, so yes, I mean now now I'm, I can never unthink that image now of Boris Johnson's tattooed face. Now I wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> well, you're the one who wrote the book, so well, we... I know I blame myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is that. Um, moving from the ridiculous uh, swiftly onwards from the ridiculous. Uh, there's obviously a lot of questions in the current world of tattoo literature and tattoo practice. Um, but certainly one of the questions, at least, that I'm aware of as an observer of this, to some extent, is a question that is happening in a lot of places, which is the idea of decolonization um, in our higher education, in all sorts of places. And this is something that I appreciated uh, you brought up in the book. How can, can tattoos be decolonized? Yeah, it's a it's a, a big question and um, it's an important question. So I, I did an interview with with Radio New Zealand um, a, a few days ago, where it's a really like important topic. Um, 
So you shouldn't just steal other people's culture, should you? Um, I, I, I mean, when tattoos or other cultural artifacts have particular meanings in particular cultures, then it's really important to respect that. I mean, there was an art, uh, a story that broke a few, few days ago in um, in Yorkshire, where I am, about a kind of vintage store through some weird quirk of fate um, had in a bundle of like old, basically junk clothes that came from the States, found this really beautiful um, jacket that was a late 19th century Canadian First Nations, I, I think, jacket, which they, you know, very respectfully sent back to the to the um, the original owners of that artifact. I think tattooing is part of, of that. I mean, there are, you know, all kinds of people who get all kinds of tattoos for all kinds of reasons. And you know, there, there was... A time, I think it's faded into the background a little bit now, where tribal tattooing was a thing in like, Europe, in America. It tends to be called black work tattooing now, and that was associated with a movement called the Modern Primitives, which I think, again, came out of California in the 80s or 90s, though how far that was actually a coherent movement has been subject to debate um, as well. And this was about kind of reclaiming some deep and more meaningful sense of human being in the wake of kind of consumerism and commodity culture through indigenous body marking um, practices. But these were not indigenous body marking practices that the people who um, were using them had any real historical relationship to. Um, so they were just kind of appropriating them from other cultures. Uh, and the, the mark of the four waves, the Filipino um, tattoo renaissance, are very explicit about that, you know, don't get these tattoos if they're not part of of your heritage uh, and so that i mean i i've never got like a maori tattoo or anything like that i mean i i wouldn't be comfortable doing that um so and i th- i think i mean in terms of how you de- decolonize that i think you need to know the significance of the images that that you're getting tattooed know, know your history do your research um you know many tattoo artists would be in a position to help you with that so that that's one aspect about it don't get your tattoos unthinkingly, which is good advice. In any case, I would suggest um, have some sense of the cultural weight of particular images and how they've got a history that you don't necessarily own or have any relationship with. So I think that's important. But that said, there's always also been cultural exchange between tattoo traditions. I've been going back um a long way. So, so tattoo um, traditions, of course, exist locally in particular communities, but evolve over long periods of time, often through um, contact between different um, communities. You can them in different versions of, of, of Pacific tattooing, for example. There are relationships between those distinct um, traditions and those relationships between Japanese tattooing and kind of Euro-American um tattooing through various forms of kind of trade and cultural exchange going back uh, a long time. So it becomes really difficult actually to, in some cases, not in all cases, to distinguish between kind of long-standing evolution of artistic processes through cultural exchange and kind of blunt cultural appropriation. So I I, I don't think um, it's necessarily straightforward to kind of come up with an easy set of instructions about how you would do that, except to say, you know, read about it, learn about it. And of course, I mean, the problem with tattooing is if you make a mistake and get a tattoo that, you know, is inappropriate, 
you know, there it is. It's quite a long-term uh, mistake. I've never had anything lasered off and I wouldn't fancy it. Apparently it hurts even worse than, than getting tattooed. So that is kind of the stakes are quite high. Whereas, you know, I, I don't know if, if other forms of cultural appropriation in terms of like fashion or dress, for example, you sometimes hear stories about that, you know, that they're clearly less permanent than getting a, a tattoo from a culture that doesn't um, belong to you. Um, so uh, yeah, with that, that is my somewhat rambling um, answer. But, but the thing I, I would want to in, insist upon is that need to respect other cultures that have been subject to colonisation and their their right to have, we might say, intellectual property over their images or, or, or just to kind of have ownership of things that are specific to their culture and have specific meanings in that, which are then lost when they're transferred to to another uh, context. Quite sensible advice, really, um, especially the idea of think about a tattoo before you put it, before you get it done, um, if nothing else, for the high stakes. Um, but the idea of kind of knowing what's happening, knowing the history, uh, again, going back to the idea of tattoos being more mainstream, this information is more available than it has been before. Um, which would hopefully help with that. Yeah, I and mean, there's loads of, of great, great books that now about tattoo history as well. So you can you can read quite a lot uh, about it and get, and they're all beautifully illustrated. So you can get a really strong sense of of what where images come from. Mm. Um, and there's a question about what, what is a version of it and what is the image itself. You know, so, so there, you know, that that makes it even more complicated, I suppose. Well, thank you for um, giving us some ways into thinking about that even further, which I think is always a useful thing for a book to do. Um, But before we let you go, uh, is there anything about your current work or future work, whether or not it's tattoo related, that you'd like our listeners to be aware of? Well, I could give a plug to my book, The Heart of the Forest, Why Woods Matter, which is out with British Library Publishing, which has got no references to tattooing in it at all. It's a book about trees which is what i more usually um do so that that came out in 2022 um and i've not got any um tattoo writing on the go at the moment but it's something i i might go back to i'm quite tempted by the idea of writing a literary history of of tattooing or i'd quite be interested in doing some more research about that the moment when tattooing becomes more mainstreaming maybe in the 19 80s in in the UK I'm, I'm drawn to that cusp between um it being supposedly more marginal becoming supposedly more mainstream so maybe in the future I, I, I will return to it the trouble is with academics they don't give us any time to do anything mm. but I better not say any more about that had I <laughs> Fair enough. Well, while you are off uh, doing all the things that you must as an academic, uh, listeners can read the book we've been discussing, again, titled The Philosophy of Tattoos, published by the British Library in 2021. John, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Thank you. You're most welcome. My pleasure.